You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. He's here to chew bubblegum and hit bombas. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. One, two, three. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami. With Rami. Jose clobbers this ball. Deep left field. Rosario didn't move. Way out of here. All right, Mackie and Judd with Rami on the all-new Score North on the Score North mobile app. Rami is on a top-secret mission right now at Target Field. Really? He will join at some point during the show. Really? He will be back. He is on a top-secret mission right now. I thought he was just hidden behind this board that's sitting in front of me. uh, Do you know what it says on that board? Uh, If I remember correctly, it's the Bomba counter, isn't it? Up to 241. The the Twins are 25 home runs away from tying the Major League record. It'll happen at some point in the next two or three weeks. Can I take a quick guess? He's working with Rocco on challenges and interpretations of rules because not all challenges would cost you a challenge. Um, ooh, that's a that's a really really good guess, Judd. But okay, I'll guess again. Right, okay, I'll guess again. He's working with Kyle Gibson on on when you're pitching to Jose Abreu and John Jay is on deck wasting four pitches. That's that is it. Okay, right good. Oh. Yeah. That's a great That's idea. The correct answer. Yeah, because my third guess was going to be he's working with Miguel Sano, an enormous man, on sliding feet first into home plate and disrupting nope. the catcher, as opposed to thinking that you're Lou Brock. No, nope, it was I thought I thought it was Miguel Sano and working with them on how to properly field the ball at third base. No, nope. no, it wasn't that. That's a good guess too. I tried. That's yeah. a, oh wait, no, no, I got it. Oh, I got it. His <laughs> second thing is he's. Why didn't I get this before? He's working with Rosario on picking up the ball in left field and not turning into Jock Jones. That too. Yeah. yeah. There we go. That as well. Yeah. Judd, you're on to this. Uh, I the, knew it because he's, he's a great baseball guy. Robbie is. Jock Jones also, uh, one in every three throws from the outfield would be like a seven hopper to wherever he was aiming it. You guys remember that? Of he course. Would just like spike a ball into the Metrodome. I, I was at an afternoon game once uh, in, in the Metrodome, of course, sparsely attended. I know you're shocked by this in the 90s when Jack made a throw from left field towards home plate that wound up behind the first base dugout. Yeah, I remember that. Who was better at spiking balls into the turf, Jock Jones or Donovan McNabb? <laughs> oh, I got to say it was number five. <laughs> Vasante Shanko is still waiting to catch those passes that were all literally bringing up the uh, stuff from the turf. Old Donovan. So Rami will join at some point. He is he's actually on a on a secret mission that involves a state fair T-shirt that we're going to have available starting later this week, mm-hmm. only at the state fair booth for Score North. Cool. But um, Kyle Gibson. There's so many places to start off of the the first game of this Twin series. Um, I just sort of like I had this epiphany earlier today that I've probably spent more time grinding my teeth and being frustrated when it comes to a Twins player. Yep. With Kyle Gibson than any other Twins player, like if you go if you go back through he, that impressive that guy's he's been in the organization for ten years. Yep, he was a first round pick, top half of the first round. 
was a stud pitcher out of Missouri, pitched in big-time college baseball games, one of those Friday night horse stud pitchers who struck guys out, and the Twins drafted him to be their ace pitcher. Tommy John surgery after a couple years in the minor leagues. All right. But he comes back from that, and he's pitching nine-inning shutouts in the minors, and he's getting strikeouts, and he's throwing in the 90s, and his stuff moves all over the place. And he's he's a big guy. What is he like? Six foot four, six foot three, something like that. Might be more right? than that, I think. And it's like he's got all this all, for ten years. He's had the pitches. He's had the size. He's had the the background and the draft status and all these things. Right? Scouts love him. The makeup is right. You'd think right, but the makeup of what you see looks like on paper. You're on something. And then he'll even show you glimpses every once in a while. Like he'll just he'll mow down a great lineup or. He'll discover a strikeout pitch for stretches of time. But then there's games like last night where you got John Jay in the on-deck circle who hasn't hit a, He has no home runs, right? Is it zero? He's batting cleanup. Zero. And he has no home runs, and he was only signed by the White Sox because he's really good friends with Manny Machado. <laughs> right. To get Machado signed. And so here and of course, he is in Machado's he's in San Diego. San Diego. Yes. Yep. Yep. So yes. And he just like... Oh, wait. 274, no home runs. Nine RBS. Yeah. <laughs> ready for you to open base, ready for you to just walk Jose Abreu mm-hmm. and and pitch to John Jay however you want to. Like he's swinging a wet rolled up newspaper. And I'm just like, I'm just sort of sick of sweating Kyle Gibson on a star. For 10 years, I've been doing this thing where maybe this is the time. Maybe, maybe this is where he turns the corner and, may, or maybe this isn't every time he's, he's pacing around the mound. He's sweating. And he's and he's you know huffing and puffing. He just I don't know why I'm sitting here after all this time, continuing to feel the way that I do, like I did last night again, just frustrated and out of answers. I think it's, it's just like I've ridden this for too long. I think it's also because Kyle uh, tends to come unglued in different frustrating ways. The Cleveland game, right? Jose Ramirez is on first base, and you're like, okay, if he steals, he steals. Whatever, you know, it's Cleveland. That's fine. Good team, though. Work on the hitter, right? He throws over, I swear, 87 times to, to first base. To, by the way, Adrian's is playing first, and he's really not that good there, right? So you're like, all right, that's, let's, let's now focus on the hitter. And he throws over enough with, by the way, I believe Puig that, that night. I think that was the, the first game, Thursday night game. Mm-hmm. Puig on third, where finally he throws wildly enough that Adrianza doesn't catch the ball, and he runs... So, I think the frustrating thing about seeing Gibby melt down continually at key times is there's different ways to do it, which makes it even more frustrating. Mm-hmm. Like last night. What what are you doing? And, and Abreu's at the plate, and you're saying to yourself, okay, just give him nothing to hit. Like, this lineup, Abreu's good. But beyond him... There's nobody who you're like, oh, boy, if you have to face this guy. And to your point, John Jay is on deck. And so you're thinking, okay, give him four pitches. Don't intentionally walk him, but give him give him four pitches. And if he grounds out or something, cool, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. But don't give him a thing. And you miss that bad. That ball's still going, Phil. It was like 440 feet or something. Got it right here. And I think it was farther than that. I love how you got your carnage score sheet I was there. keeping score last night. It's a very clean score sheet. Pen or pencil? Oh, pen. Very I'm confident. I'm hot. Hold on. Do you have a score sheet and a score book? Yes. yes. You paid thirty dollars for a score book. I don't always take the score book. You paid thirty dollars for it. Why wouldn't you? Because <sighs> Jonathan, I'm weird. Okay. Well, 
I have no good excuse here. Like, I'm not going to give you a song and dance. Do you have I don't the scorebook in your backpack? No, I don't. Why not? I took it out. Because someone would steal it? It's too valuable. <laughs> no, I'm not that big. It's too valuable. Geek. No, because it weighs down my backpack. <laughs> Please, and, and, sir, I took my bino- my <laughs> and I took my binoculars to the Vikings game. And I had to take those out. And I took the scorebook out. Long story, 442 feet. It's still going. Do, are those real binoculars or the ones that you put booze in? No, they're real. In fact, you know what? I didn't even know about those until oh, yeah. until Donna and I went. We took a Kentucky Derby um, bus from Brits. This is like eight years ago to Canterbury, and someone's got binoculars. And I said to Donna, "I was like, this is a drinking thing. Why? Why does anybody have binoculars?" She's like, "You idiot!" I'm like, "What?" She's like, "They carry booze in." Yeah, there's there's bourbon in there. I didn't even know how do how do I not know this? Yeah, the left this one's surprising. got scotch and the right one's got vodka. Yeah. It's great. Makes me question you leaving out your sneaking in alcohol stories from yesterday's crime session. I You didn't know about no, those binoculars. No, I know. How did you sneak in alcohol? In my socks. Yeah, you, you ring them out into your... Oh. <laughs> in my socks? No, booze. Oh, I see. I snuck you. booze in. <laughs> to Lambo Field. Yeah, yeah. You that's, ter- okay. that's terrible. That's he terrible. He soaks his feet in... Yeah, just, yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> suck IPA. on my suck on my own toes, man. These surlies are sure good off my toes. God, no. Anyway, I didn't know about that. But <laughs> but I'm with you. And again, though, I'll go back to the thing that I guess I'm as we talk about the Twins' potential uh, playoff berth, which I do think is going to happen. But any potential playoff success, like pitching wise, starting pitching wise, I'm just lost now. Well. It's that's very hard thing. for like, me to get my head around trying to win a series right now. That's the thing. I where I'm struggling is if if Jose Barrios didn't have a terrible August track record and a and a mediocre September track record, I would look at this and I would say, hey, whatever. He's he was awesome all year. He's just he's everyone runs into a little bit of a roadblock. He's not 1999 Pedro Martinez. You know, like there everyone runs into a roadblock at some point. But that coupled with the fact that he's a terrible August pitcher, and he he doesn't he doesn't have any track record of ending the season with two lights out months. You know, so this is all headed toward the same pattern. And Kyle Gibson has has no track record of anything that you can trust. Really, it's just wild ups and downs. And Correct. for a month here, he might be amazing and the number one draft pick that you had uh, envisioned ten years ago. And then there's times like last night where it's like, dude, just don't don't give up a, a huge crooked number to the White Sox. Just you're at home, just just don't throw that pitch to Jose Brios or to Jose Abreu. And I think my question to you is, knowing how frustrated I have gotten over the years with Kyle Gibson. Kyle Gibson is the guy that I've probably wasted the most energy being frustrated with in a Twins uniform for sure the last five years, and maybe even in my life watching the Twins. Yep. Who on the Twins that you can remember in your lifetime have you like? Where does Kyle Gibson rank among pitchers or players that you've been the most frustrated with? In Twins history, oh, he's probably up there fairly high because one, I've seen in my time of watching this ball club, Phil, I've seen a lot of bad, bad Twins teams, and, and it's hard to get it's hard to get frustrated because guys flame out quick then. Mm-hmm. But as far as like chances, and okay, here's another chance, and, and especially here, here's the problem too. Every once in a while during his tenure here, Gibson's done things where you're like, oh, so it's clicking. It's starting to click a little bit, right? Yes. There was a time this year. Well, like last month. There was, I mean, yes, yeah. this year. 
Um, so he is he is right up there. I'm trying to think of of players who have frustrated me a lot. So the the other one really, and and this was I I, I came to the realization after about two years that okay this he just is who he is yep. and. And even when he fooled everybody in 2010, I was still very much like, ah, that's a one-year thing. Delman Young. That was a number one overall pick. Now, granted, by Tampa Bay, not by the Twins. Right. So you thought you were trading for a bona fide 10-year franchise hitter that you could put in the three or the four spot. Yep. And a little-known statistical fact about Delman Young, as much like he was kind of a hulking figure, power uh, if you just look at him, and you watch that dude take batting practice, I don't think I've ever seen a guy hit third-deck home runs on call like that guy did in batting practice mm-hmm. for three or four years. <laughs> he led the major leagues one year in ground ball rate as a hitter. So while well, you look at you look at the list of, like, who are the guys who lead the league in ground ball rate? And it was, like, David Eckstein and Alexi Casilla and all these slap-hitting middle infielder types, like mm-hmm. Juan Pierre, you know, keep the ball on the ground. And Delman Young is on this list, and um, I just I, I like watching him game after game hit weak ground balls to second base or to shortstop. That definitely uh, cut a couple years was, off my life. He was what what you could safely call a miserable dude as well, right? Yeah, he didn't. I don't think he really knew who he was as a person, and he got all defensive. I got one for you. Now, now he was really good and got hurt, but there, there were, but it, to me, it became maddening. Liriano. Yes, Francisco Liriano, post surgery Liriano. Yes, but there were there again were moments where you said it's coming back and he's going to be good and oh my gosh when he's good he's great, and then it would go away again. That got frustrating. Yeah, Liriano. I, I heard a story one time they were having so much trouble with him where he'd give up a hit or a home run and he would just be so scared of throwing the ball over the plate he just wouldn't throw a fastball over the plate and they finally said all right enough of this like nitpicking around the edges and. You've got amazing stuff. We're going to have the catcher literally sit down the middle for you. You told me this is good. You're not, the catcher's not going to sit off to the edge of the inside corner, outside corner. He's going to sit in the middle of the plate, and you just throw a fastball right at his glove. And if it moves, it moves. Yep. And like, so he just had this mental block of he didn't know he was driving a Ferrari. You know, it's like, dude, you can you can give up a couple hits and still throw but how, your stuff. How did he lose that so badly? Because there was that insecure, year. insecure guy, I don't know. But there was that extended period where his stuff was. It was just fantastic, even it, after surgery. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. Nineteen nineties one for you. How about this one? Todd Walker. Okay. Todd Walker, because Todd Walker could hit. He couldn't field well. Drove TK absolutely crazy. But I think he had abilities. He, Cause, was, cause he had a couple he, pretty good years with the Red Sox too, right? Didn't he? He, he was on that. Uh, I think the 03 Red Sox team. He might have been. Yeah. He was on a couple Red Sox teams that did pretty well. Because it's not fa- it's not fair to cite guys who, who came up and just sort of scuffled and failed. Yeah, like Scott Stahovia. Oh, that whole we could talk about the nineties for a long time. Yeah. Then McCarty, first yeah. pick, he's going to be great, awful. But Todd Walker had some talent. I don't know that Todd Walker ever ever came close to fully applying himself. Um, yeah, t- uh, Tom Kelly, if Tom Kelly made a Mount Rushmore of players that he couldn't stand in his 15 years as Twins manager, I think Todd Walker might be number one or number two on that list. McCarty would, would be up there. And, and in fact, you know who might come close? Now, I don't know he qualifies, but who might come close on this list? Your guy, Rich Becker. Rich Becker, yeah. Center fielder, came up, was going to be a hotshot prospect. And again, my question for guys like that is, were they just not that good ultimately, or did they have some talent and really not care? 
Well, that I don't know. Another guy on the list, uh, and this all started with Kyle Gibson just again last night. It's very frustrating. But um, Alexi Casilla was tabbed as a franchise middle infielder about three or four different years. All right, this is this is Alexi's job. He's the starting shortstop. Yep. And he's going to hit leadoff. And then he would hit like 150 in the first two months. All right, all right, I'll send Lexi over here and put him on the bench. Yep. And the next year, okay, let's try second base. <laughs> Lexi's the franchise second baseman now. And he's going to, he'll bat low in the order just to keep the pressure off of him. <laughs> no pressure. And then yep. he'd start white hot. Like he'd hit 350 in the first two months of the year. And then, all right, let's move Lexi back up. Yep. And then he'd be terrible again for like two or three months. Just like totally looked apart. Has a couple super clutch hits in Twins history, including game 163, right? Lexi Casilla. Yes. That way. And, us. uh, but just like could never put it together for six full months. He's That's on it. my list. And I know you don't want to include guys who, were highly touted in the minors, but like came up and never got it going. But I have to put Alex Meyer on my list because they traded Denard Spain. That was their for fault. For him, though. that was their fault. He was a first round pick. He was lights out in the minor leagues, and he gets to the majors, and it was like uh, he never had a chance. Couldn't repeat his delivery is what they said. Okay, but that became such convenient excuse for it was always uh, if, if he could only if he was only five foot seven he'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> like they got him and he was this this big athletic pitcher. They're like, this is going to be great. And the, I just wish he was shorter. I guess you could hobble him and make him like if he was five foot three, his delivery would be awesome. It'd be repeatable every time. Yeah. So that and actually, are... you know what though? To your point there. I told you this. I think it was after a start. It, it was a start here th- this year. It might have been against Toronto. Gibson talked about exactly that. What? He said, I get in trouble when I don't repeat my, the mechanics on my delivery. He said, Did he exact, say it was harder because he's tall? Yes, basically. Basically, tall guys. I mean, I think it whole, I think it's true. I don't, I'm just saying it becomes this convenient narrative, too, that oh, I yeah, just, I think, like, just in terms of, you know, not that I'm an expert in physics or anything, but. If uh, if you took one of those giant car dealership inflatable like you know you guys ever see those things with like the the big oh, inflatable course, yeah. arms are like yeah, twenty feet tall they're fantastic sail like, here you know tougher if that's like Alex Meyer right It'd be tougher for that thing to repeat its delivery time after time because it's just you know its arms are nine feet long that was always tougher the to find that yeah, arm but you, slot but you did trade Denard's band for him and got nothing back <laughs> nothing is, back is Ben Revere still in the league no. No, I don't know where he is now. He's gone. Okay. Independently, perhaps, or something like that. Mm-hmm. That was a good Twins vent session right there, didn't even though they're ben still Revere, 27 games over 500. Didn't Gardy put that poor guy in right field at one point with zero yes. arm? <laughs> he did. Since we're How cutting open that? this vein right now, this feels like an exorcism of like Twins frustrations. So After uh, last night, it's justified. So Denard Spann was a very good right fielder at the Metrodome 2008-2009 because Carlos Gomez played center field. Yeah. And so Spann had played right field. And uh, and he had a pretty good arm, especially compared to Ben Revere. But then when they got to target field and Gomez was gone, Span had some vertigo issues and maybe maybe even like a concussion issue or something. And Gardy was so worried about just upsetting. I don't want to. I just don't want to disrupt anything because that's why he hit Mike Redmond third in the order too, right? I don't want to disrupt. I don't want to move everyone right. around. Day game, day and game after night game. So when he wanted Red to put dog. Revere and Span <laughs> in the lineup together, which was, sounds great, right? Rather than moving Span to right field with the stronger arm and a guy who's played there for two years, he put the worst arm of any outfielder in baseball, Ben Revere in right, and guys would just go first to third all day long. Well, Guardy, why wouldn't you just put Revere in center and Span in right? I don't want to. I don't want to make Span uncomfortable by moving him away from center. Think field. about that for a second. <laughs> oh, man. You're a professional athlete. You know what, though? 
the Gibson thing, it does trace back to, to what we've talked about in, in doing shows now for, what, five years? Mm-hmm. If you recall, when he came up, our shows are were often on the fact that if something began to go wrong at that time, oh, like yeah. you could see it immediately. And I think infield he, single. Oh gosh, I think we're he wobbling. does. I think he does a better job expression wise at not showing that now. But like last night, I still get the feeling of oh boy, and that a Brayu pitch, man. And and the inning was bad, but how do you get that pitch even close? Well, let's talk to Roy Smalley about it All when right. we come back here. Let's get uh, let's get some actual some actual expertise here from somebody who played Major League Baseball. Mackie and Jeb with Rami on the all new Score North and the Score North mobile app. Before we talk to World Series champion Roy Smalley, let's talk about the champion of car dealerships in the Twin Cities. That would be Luther Brookdale Toyota, six ninety four on Brooklyn Boulevard, where you can find all new two thousand nineteen Rav fours. There's a reason why the Rav four is. One of the most popular vehicles in America right now, if not the most popular vehicle in America. Uh, it's the best combination of size and spaciousness, like an SUV, and also handling and gas mileage like you'd get with more of a Camry or a Corolla. Um, in fact, I was I was shocked at the first two or three months here. Now, granted, I don't live very far away from work, but I've only had to fill up the gas tank like four times since I got this car because the gas mileage is so excellent the technology and the safety features are top-notch. Go find out why my family and I have been going to the same dealership and service department for three-plus decades on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. It's Luther Brookdale Toyota and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. Mackie and Jeb with Rami, joined by Roy Smalley when we come back. This Thursday night, Minnesota United travels to Kansas City to take on Sporting KC right here on Score North, the Score North mobile app and scorenorth.com. You can join Kendra D. St. Aubin, Jamie Watson, and myself for the pregame at 8 o'clock kickoff with Callum Williams and at 8.30 right here on scorenorth.com. And Roy Smalley is brought to you by Doug's Power Equipment in Blaine. All right, Mackie and Jeb with Rami on the all-new Score North and the Score North mobile app, where, by the way, we have a five-day-a-week twin show. It's called the Score North Twin Show. You can find it at noon every single day if you're new to the platform here or podcastable anywhere you find your podcast. But on Mackie and Jeb with Rami, Roy Smalley, 1987 World Series champion, joins us every single week. And, uh, gentlemen, this is where I think my expectations of the Twins for these next two weeks against the White Sox and the Tigers my expectations are probably a little bit out of line with reality and that I was devastated by li- them losing last night. I was thinking, I thought, I thought they're going to go 11 and 2 over the stretch and they just ruined that by losing the first game to the Chicago White Sox. So put me in check, Roy. Well, I mean, they didn't ruin that. They could still go 11 and 1 and you'll be, and you'll <laughs> be, true. you'll be happy. Uh, you know, the rest, 11 and 1 the rest of the way. You know, the, the Cleveland Indians didn't win every game against these guys. They they won a significant amount of them, but they lost some games, and and it's it it, it was really disappointing uh, last night to um, you know with Nova uh, pitching for the White Sox pitching as well as he's pitched the last five starts, and the Twins to get as many hits as they did and have as many good at bats against him as they did, and for Gibson, but for two pitches pitch as well as he did and 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 come away uh with a loss there and not a win to to open what you hope is you know 11 and 2 right so um it's it ain't over uh yet in terms of a real good next uh 12 games now and um hopefully the twins will will uh 
we'll be able to uh, put a weapon on these uh, on these guys here in the next twelve games. So, uh, Roy, speaking of Gibson and the two pitches that cost him, let's go back to the, the one in particular with John Jay and no home runs on deck and Abreu at the plate. How do you not just unintentionally, intentionally walk him and take your chances with John Jay? So. The, the the pitch that the, the other pitch that I'm talking about happened in the at bat right before that, where he got a uh, I think a two and two count on Goins, the shortstop who hits in front of Abreu, and Jason Castro signaled for a high fastball, and and uh, you know Goins is more of a, a low ball hitter, and and uh, Gibson didn't get the ball high enough, and he and he spanked a single to left field to put two guys on ahead of um, Abreu, and then. Um, it, it, because of, I forget if it was the the throw or whatever. The guys moved up to second and third. So now you got the, you've got a brave up and you got and you have first base open. And I hate second guessing, and so I don't do it. Or uh, if I do, I, uh, I I do it rarely. And uh, so fortunately for me, I said on the broadcast last night, you did. Um, you, you know, you just first base is open. You've got Abreu hitting 273 and Jay hitting 274 behind him. So equal chance potentially of getting a hit, but you've got Abreu with 26 home runs and fourth most home runs against the Twins of anybody playing, and Jay who's got zero home runs. So this is kind of the game, and uh, for me it was, a, it was a huge moment. I said, I just don't think that you – uh, that you that you pitch you throw him anywhere near the middle of the strike zone. You can throw him in off the plate. Hope he jams himself. You can throw the breaking balls away off the plate. Hope he chases, gets himself out. But you don't try to get him out here with you know superior stuff in the strike zone. And and I, I don't know I, I don't know what happened. You know what the thinking was. I don't know anything about other than. He threw one center cut, and the ball went 442 feet, and I and it was just a gigantic uh, mistake in either location or strategy. I, and I don't know. I, I mean, obviously location. I don't know about the strategy, but it, it, you just don't. In my view, you just don't pitch to him there. And you don't walk him intentionally, but you sure. you just you, you just let him let him make get himself out. And if he won't, then fine. You pitch to you do the best you can with with John Jay. Roy, your post Abreu uh, swing groan was fantastic because <laughs> you could, you you laid out the entire thing, and then all you heard was this crack, and you go, "Oh, oh. <laughs> you sound like you're about to throw up." It's like I just laid all that out, and you did everything I told you not to do. <laughs> I, you know, I I blurt stuff out all the time. I, you know, I'll be at home watching. I don't even realize I do it half the time, but I, I'll be. But I'm I, I watch the games at home. And my wife will will come in. And I'll be sitting, you know, in a room, you know, TV room, watching the watching the game. My wife will come in and say, "And say, who are you talking to? And who are you yelling at? I mean, I'm in there by myself, right? And and so I mean, I talk to the television, and and every once in a while, that 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 uh, tendency comes comes out on the air. And I I, I hate to do that, but it, it, sometimes I just blurt stuff out. Man. Roy Smalley is with us here on Mackie and Judd with Rami. I feel like we're all, we all are in agreement. This Twins lineup, you know, well, well, first of all, they're going to break the home run record in two or three weeks from now, but they can hit with anybody, and, they, and we're just waiting for 
What what are some signs that they can pitch with anybody? And Kyle Gibson, that doesn't help last night. Here's but here is how much of a saving grace could could Gratterall be, even if it's in a bullpen role. If he comes up and he clicks, Roy, at some point in the next five weeks, um, and it's and it's an inning or two at a time, let's say, and he's throwing a hundred three and he's and he's getting guys out. How much does that change your perception of the Twins pitching staff and bullpen now versus what it could be in October? Well, a lot. I mean, you, there's a lot of caveats there. I mean, there's a, what if he comes in and his light, it comes up here and he's lights out? Well, that changes everything, doesn't it? I mean, it, um, I don't think we have – there's anybody that the Twins have that you would say unequivocally is just lights out. So, um, you know, you add another arm, you add that arm, uh, if it's effective at the at the major league level, and and you know you've got something, and and they do have something. I, I think he's coming, you know, to the big club at some point in time, in the next in the next year, most most likely. And I don't know. I think it would be interesting to talk with um, with Falvey and Levine about what what goes into that decision making process. Because as I think about, it, I think well. Okay, so what if uh, you know? Does he have command with another pitch? Uh, is it, it, what you know about his makeup, his personality? Uh, do we think that he can handle being thrust into a uh, into a pennant drive? Uh, what if he um, comes up and uh, gets it handed to handed to him? Uh, you know, I know he throws a hundred, uh, but what if it just doesn't work for whatever reason? How much of a setback for him is is that? I mean, I I think it would be interesting. I mean, the kid is what twenty years old, and he had um, you know some shoulder impingement. He had his shoulder was bothering him earlier. Now he's throwing great. Uh, how much? How many pitches do you want him to throw this year when he's going to be a star for you at some point in time, most likely? I. I understand, you know, it's all hands on deck trying to trying to be as good as you can be. So they'll probably he'll probably be here. But I think there's all kinds of all kinds of things that need that they're thinking about and should think about. Right. What do you make of Barrios at this point? Because I I think we all all said after the Braves start a couple starts ago, okay, nine runs is really bad, but it's one start. Uh, but now it's three consecutive starts where the velocity's been down or he's been hit hard. What do you make of this, and do you think that there is a case to be made for uh, at least considering skipping a start to see if that gets him back on track? I don't think that they would skip a uh, skip a start with him. Um, you know, it, I think the reason they would is if is if his arm's tired. You know, you, you can go through a you know a dead arm period, and and you know maybe maybe that's the case. I have no idea about about that. If that's why his um, velocity is down, but I, I think we talked about. Um, we may have talked about this uh, before, but I think you know how I feel about certain things about about pitching. And I want him to throw the ball. I want him to throw four seamers and not and not the sinker. And it it just. I think it's strategic as much as it's a strategic mis- mistake, as much as as anything else, because it's like he's afraid to throw his fastball. And uh, you can't pitch that way in the big leagues. You look at every guy that's dominant, and when he and when he's dominant, you've got guys concerned about fastball, either speed or location, and, and most times both. 
and that gets them in a hurry and creates anxiety, and, and then the curveball and the changeup become really effective, and, it, and the fastball becomes more effective, and it, just, it feeds on each other. But he's got this idea that he's got to make the ball, he's got to throw two-seam fastballs and make the ball move and, uh, in order to be able to throw fastballs for strikes. And the problem with that is that two-seam fastballs are harder to control than four-seam fastballs. It's why, you know, infielders like me, I mean, we, used to, we, we grab the ball across the seams and throw the ball across the infield so the ball doesn't move. We don't grab it in, in two-seam fashion and throw it over there because the, the ball would get going to the first baseman, you know, moving all over the place. And in like manner, when you're on the mound and you're throwing two-seamers, you, you, they're really, really great on the corners uh, or at the knees and then breaking below, you know, moving below the strike zone and the hitter swings at it. But it's hard to hit the corners and, and, the, and the low stretch, the, the knee high pitch all the time. And if that, if a two seamer at 91 is in the middle of the plate, you know, in, in the middle of the plate, it invariably doesn't move a whole lot. Those balls get hit a long ways and they get hit often. And I just don't see Jose um, throwing the ball hard, uh, his four, when he throws a four seamer, it's ninety four, ninety five again. I mean, it's not like he can't throw it. I've seen it, uh, and I just th- I think he's he'd be better off throwing that pitch for his fastball, and, and because you can control that better, and because it impresses the hitter more with that velocity. And I think, uh, frankly, I think he needs to throw more angry fastballs. I think that, <laughs> I, I, I think I think hitters are way too comfortable against uh, yeah. that guy, as good a stuff as he has. Guys walk up to the plate and they're swinging from the heels at the, you know, it just the first fastball they see, they're 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 ready to hit it. And if it's a two seamer that's you know in the middle of the plate, it's going to get hit. And if it's, I just think every once in a while guys have to be jackknifing out of the way of four seam fastballs and, you know, moving their chin back a little bit. And I don't I don't I'm not talking about knockdown pitches and hitting guys. And all that. I'm not talking about that. I, I just think he needs to be a little bit more effectively wild with 95 miles an hour. It's also, you know, if you look at his career month by month, and he's made, I want to say, 20 career starts in August, and his August ERA for his career is over six. You know, he's he's lights out in basically every month up until August, and he's better in September than he is in August. But August has been just this weird career sticking point for him that doesn't match up with the rest of it, Roy. Yeah, and I don't know how to do, I don't know how to explain that away. I really I really don't. I mean, it could be it could be dog days of August dead arm stuff. It could be um it, he needs to make some, you know, adjustments. The hitters have adjusted to him and and it takes him the month of August to figure it out, you know, adjusting back. Uh, you know, I really I really don't know why why that would be. Um, you know, and I'll just reiterate, he's got such good stuff. Guys, hitters shouldn't be that. If if I'm the pitcher, and guys are looking that comfortable against me, then I I have to do something to make them a little less comfortable. And and again, I'm not advocating hitting anybody or knocking, you know, having you know throwing at their heads. Or, I, none none of that. I'm just saying, yeah, uh, Martin Perez, for example, he's pitching better here recently because he's throwing the four seam fastball more than more than the cutter, and he's throwing it inside and outside and high and low, and it's all over the place, and it's at 95 miles an hour, and then, boy, then all of a sudden the changeup is getting guys out, and that's kind of what I'm talking about. I mean, throw the throw the ball hard all over the strike zone. Sometimes it's going to be in, way inside of the strike zone, and, and, you know, get guys just a little less 
comfortable with the idea that they're going to go up and and dig in and 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 smack a fastball somewhere. As a baseball fan, Roy, were you as offended by what the Rangers masqueraded and called running the bases as I was? Oh. I, I swear to God, I've never seen anything like that over a four-day period. No, I haven't either. I, I, I have never seen anything like that. And, um, you know, I felt bad for the how bad the third-base coaching decisions uh, were. Um, and it, it, there's just no other there's just no other way to put it. But what was astonishing is that okay, in the in the first game when they had those three horrendous base running plays, I mean this there was it, they were down by whatever it was six runs or seven runs or something, and they they get a guy. I mean that the run that he waved in the runner that he waved in to try and score meant absolutely nothing. I mean, they got to get six runs, seven runs. I mean, they, they need a big inning, not one run. And, and that's kind of the cardinal rule. And yeah, it looked like he should be safe. And it, uh, it, the, you know, twins came up with a nice, a nice relay and, and closed the gap on in time. Uh, and, and he's out, but it, it can't ha it, You know, at the time, I'm sure it looked like he was going to be able to score relatively easily, but it doesn't matter. I mean, it really doesn't matter. There no. is no possible way yep. that you can uh, that you can be out at the out of the plate, and then and then he did it again, and then he did it again. <laughs> so I, I just uh, and and then the, the and in between time, you know, right after the first throw out of the plate, the runner on third took off for home on a ball hit to down the line that you know Miguel Sano was in front of, and so it's like. I mean, when the ball was hit, he almost had to go back to third, not even think about going home. And of course, that, he ran himself that ran himself out of and his team out of that one too. So, uh, and then there was another one out the plate, and then a day or two later, again out at the plate. It was incredible. It was. I've never seen. Any, I I really have not seen anything like that. Last thing, sir, on the uh, snow play in the bottom of the sixth last night, where McCann. And by the way, I think McCann blocked the plate and made a fantastic play there. Uh, but tell me the philosophy or your thoughts on Sano, a big man going in head first as opposed to feet first, which I think at least would have given Miguel a chance to knock McCann's foot right off the plate. Uh, that's absolutely what should have happened. Uh, and um, I, I said that again uh, on the broadcast last night as we were looking at uh, what McCann did. The rule is you have to give the player a, a lane to slide in, and then once until you have the you know so you give him a view of where he's going, and then once you catch the ball, you can move over in front of the plate at, at you know at that point, and it's a rule designed to save the catchers so that you know they're not getting drilled uh, while they're not watching the runner, they're waiting to receive the ball, but they, I guess the idea is once they catch the ball. They can. They they're under control. They they can expect the contact and they can move over there however they however they want to. Last night there was a very small lane, although there was a, a lane for a second, or I mean for some amount of time, however much it was. And before he actually caught the ball, he moved his foot over into the lane that uh, he had shown. Sano uh, to begin with, and I believe that that was that was a violation. Have, but even so, having said that, I think guys need to think about sliding feet first more often 
a big guy like Miguel Sano coming in there, sliding hard into McCann's foot, uh, that would have been an event for McCann. And we don't know exactly what would have happened if Sano's um, feet, with all that body momentum, had hit his foot as McCann was short, catching a short hop. And he made a great play catching the ball in the dirt and being able to play the tag. We don't really know if that tag, if the ball would have been caught or if he caught it but would have been able to make the tag with his left foot being spun around yeah. behind him because Sano hit him so hard. And I think, I think runners have to, have to start thinking about doing that way more often. I think uh, if I'm a catcher in that spot and I've planted my leg in the ground and Miguel Sano is trucking down, sliding feet first, I'm, pr- I'm bracing for a compound fracture of my leg. Well, that's, well, I mean, that's, a, that's a real possibility. Yes. And, and, you know, a big li- guy like that sliding head first doesn't make an awful lot of doesn't make an awful lot of sense to me. Sometimes, you know, sliding head first, you know, ostensibly gets you to someplace fastest. And if you've got a big lane and you can slide wide a la Randy Bush and put your put your left hand back out and, and get across the plate, okay, I mean I can I can see where there are some times but uh, to do that. But for the most part, I think if you're going into the plate your first thought, until something shows you something different, if it's going to be close, boy, I think I think a feet first slide, just just get to the plate and get there hard. Yeah, Roy Smalley, great stuff. We'll catch up again next week, my friend. Thanks, Roy. All right, guys. All right, that's uh, World Series champion Roy Smalley. Mackie and Judd with Rami on the all-new Score North and the Score North Mobile Act. Back, uh, wow, I can speak English. Back shortly. 446 here at Score North. Time for the Score North. Download if you're a fan of Vikings third string quarterback Kyle Slaughter and think he should be their second or their backup quarterback. Well, you're going to be disappointed at what Mike Zimmer had to say today. I don't know that you guys know all of the little details about everything. You see how he goes and does the game. So uh, he's got to get a lot better in a lot of the other parts of being a quarterback. Uh, making the right checks, getting the people in the right Formation, making sure the motion's there, not not missing the time clock when it's eight yards in front of you. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that he has to get better at if he wants to be the backup quarterback. Yikes for his chances for being a backup quarterback for this team anytime soon, it seems like. What are your thoughts, Vikings fans, on Kyle Soder's chances of becoming the backup quarterback this season, next season, in the future? Let us know over at Score North on Twitter, at SKOR North. On Twitter, that's been your Score North download. Now back to Mackie and Judd with Rami. I love how Mike Zimmer, thank you, Jonathan, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, real quick, on Purple Daily today, Courtney Cronin and Matthew Collar did a deep dive into this. And and we're, I, don't, I saw Collar fighting with people on Twitter about this. Yes. No, I think people are Matthew? watching. Shocking. Collar fighting on Twitter? I know, no. shocking, shocking. But I love how, I love how, you know, you watch these second halves of preseason games and you, and you just sort of think you're watching casually or whatever and you think, wow. In fact, I've got Kyle Sloter's preseason career in front of me. Oh, yeah. Have you guys ever done a look into this? He's Montana. It's his combination. Amazing. Actually, it's it's Unitas, Montana, Elway. So let me let me go back to so 2017 here. Let me just tell you. Heck of a Mount here. Rushmore. Carry the four there. He's All right, Kyle unbe- Sloter there. It's unbelievable. Kyle Sloter preseason career, which includes four games in 2017, four games in 2018, two games this year so far, so ten games. He is. Uh, he's at 75% completions. He has amassed just under 1,000 yards in those games. 
Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, you're only playing like a quarter, maybe a half at a time. And he has a touchdown to interception ratio of nine touchdowns and no interceptions. So, you know, you're just kind of watching. Maybe you got a beer in you on a Friday night or 10 White Claws. I'm not judging. 10 okay. White Claws, you're barely buzzed. Living the claw life. All right. Four <laughs> cases of White Claw. Kyle Sloter. Now you might be drunk. 150 yards and two touchdowns or whatever it is. Um, and you, you take that to Mike Zimmer if you're a reporter or camera person out there. And, man, Kyle sloter has been fantastic. Man, what a, what a, what a find. What do you think about him in the backup competition? And most coaches would just kind of go along with it, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. he's been great. Yeah, it's been great watching him. He's out there doing his thing, whatever. Mm-hmm. But not Mike Zimmer. Mike Zimmer gives you the full, honest answer telling you, yeah, I don't care about the stats in the second half of a preseason game. He's been garbage at these five things. Oh, and he practices like a, like a clown, too. So what, I love Mike Zimmer so much for his honesty. So what makes us even better is after his great performance again on Sunday night against Seattle, Schloeder tweeted this yesterday from his account. So And this is him. So Is, he, it, is it a verified Kyle Schloeder yep, account? it is. With a blue check mark? Blue check mark. Okay. Blue check mark. Let's see how many followers the Vikings' uh, third string quarterback has. Because I don't want 11, any fake Kyle Slaughter. 11, 11 plus thousand. So it's, a it's third not string like, quarterback can get a check mark, but Judd Zelgad can't. What's going on? They here, stopped Twitter? giving him. They stopped giving him out as much. And Come I on, just, Twitter. I don't care. Rami cares. I don't care. I'm fine without the uh, blue check mark. <laughs> but he tweeted yesterday. Are you? you really? <laughs> yes, I am. It really doesn't bother good. me. It doesn't bother me. It just doesn't. I just don't care. You're not verified, though. How do we know it's you? <laughs> no, you yeah. don't. You don't know it's me. It could be an imposter. Phil and Rami aren't verified. Mm-hmm. We know they're real. The whole practice debate from some of these quote professional analysts is laughable. Sloter tweets with the emoji of the guy crying, laughing. Act like you know what's going on, please. Ellipses. So hold on. I think that's a subtweet at Matthew Collar. That's my. That is absolutely my guess because. Here's my question. Who else has talked about him? Like, he's not important enough, right? Like, the Star Tribune is not talking about I actually, I actually think there's a him. lot of fans who are interested in the backup court. I think if you were to pull Vikings fans, in fact, we could maybe do this. Like, what are the things you're interested in this preseason? I actually think a large percentage are fascinated by Mannion, Sloter. Sloter's been sort of touted as this. Sure, but... Maybe he's a hidden gem the last couple of years. He's trying to attack here, again, quote, professional analysts. <laughs> It's got to be Collar, right? Well, and I and if you go back and listen to Collar and Sage did a deep dive on yesterday's Purple Daily. If you even just go back and listen to like the first fifteen minutes of Purple Daily yesterday, mm-hmm. and they sparred a little. Sage is standing up for the longtime backup quarterback who gets into a preseason course, game and lights him. up because Sage is statistically maybe the greatest preseason quarterback of all time. Tom Brady, he is. He's, he's the, the Tom Brady he's of the backup, Tom Brady. Yep, of a preseason quarterback. And and Collar's point. Is correctly, I side with Kyle on this. You're facing third string defenses. Yeah, you also have third string offensive linemen with you, but you're facing, it's mostly about what do you see as a quarterback. You're facing third string, mostly base defenses, right? Yeah. And most of your wide receivers are creating space, especially, you know, by the way, like I know we make fun of Laquan Treadwell, but Laquan Treadwell was a first round pick and has been a starting wide receiver, well, a, a, a number three wide receiver, I guess. Sometimes he's, he's started a couple times, I guess. Yeah, Spending enough to run out three wide receivers. Like 10 games in yeah. his entire career. But yes. so, so even though Laquan Treadwell is not somebody that the Vikings have in their long term plans, and he's, he's definitely a bust, uh-huh. Laquan Treadwell against third string defenses in a, in a base defenses in a preseason game is going to get open. He's going to get open. Yeah. 
So, not to rain on the Kyle Slaughter parade here, but let's not, especially us here in Vikingsville, let's not get tricked into preseason performance because Tavares Jackson put up a couple nice little games in the preseason as well. That ship is sailed. Let's not fall in love with what we see from a backup quarterback in the preseason, okay? Not to be a buzz killing. That that ship sailed how long ago? I always go back to the the third string, the deep backup QB who comes in late in a preseason game, leads a drive. I I go back to, I think it was 1992 or so, Gina Toretto, right? Um, Just Heisman Trophy, but he had nothing, like professionally had nothing. And he led a drive, I want to say it was in the second half. It might have been in the third quarter of a preseason game the Vikings played in Kansas City. And that was the first time I remember where we were just like, you got to give this guy, oh, there's something here. There's no question. And ever since then, it's gotten nothing but worse. Tyler Thigpen, Chili's oh guy. Oh, my God. Chili, Chili, I believe, if I am not mistaken in the story, basically canceled the idea of joint practices when the Chiefs had the audacity to steal Tyler Thigpen away on waivers when when I believe the Vikings thought they could get him through the waiver process and put him on practice squad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, another way to look at it is there's 32 teams in the NFL, all right? And like six of them are in search of a franchise quarterback or in search of a, even just a starting caliber quarterback, is right. it fair to say? Yeah. There's there's, there's always five or six teams oh, yeah, that are just fair. looking for a starting quarterback. Yep. How likely is it that your third string guy is just this hidden gem that man, like how how lucky are the Vikings to have this guy in the second half of a preseason game and no one no one can get their hands on him and nobody knows about it. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like such a bad Santa right now, raining on Kyle Sloter's seventy five percent completion percentage in the preseason. I talked to him a long time in, in after a training camp practice last year. Fantastic kid. Unfortunately, I do think that there is a expectation. And because he plays, the amazing thing, though, is Collar told me throughout training camp, in practices, this kid's been awful. He said it's not even close. He said he's, it's just bad. He goes into the Saints game and the Seahawks game, and he's unstoppable. Yeah, And so fans are... But after a summer, and this is this is not an indictment, okay? Like, I'm not complaining here at all. But after a summer of listening to Rocco defend his players... And you could ask Rocco. Miguel Sano could do anything and everything wrong. And you can say, hey, Rocco, Sano dropped a pop fly, had a ground ball go through his legs, ran through a stop sign, and loafed. And Rocco would say, yeah, but truthfully, I mean, he's a great player and he works really hard. And I mean, we just love him and blah, 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 blah. And Rocco is an affable chap. I'm actually fine with that, too. Okay, you know, but, I don't like but expect I'm saying, Rocco to throw his guys under the bus. I don't either. That's not the point. But to have this 63-year-old godsend in Egan, who can't help himself, who tells us after the Seahawks game, after Laquan has this pretty darn good game, I guess we were showcasing him a little bit. It's great. That also felt like, did that Laquan Treadwell comment not feel like a complete jab at the front office, too, to say? Like, if I interpreted it, it as... Yes, it was both, yes. I kind of took it as... I mean, I know he's trash, and I don't even really want to play him in a preseason game. But I guess we're just running him out there because they're telling me to showcase him. <laughs> I think it's. Half. I well, think it's, it's the way he worded it. It's, wasn't yeah. it like I guess we're showcasing? We're showcasing. I guess we're showcasing because, him yeah. because because Rick in Rick's mind is thinking I'm going to get a seventh round pick. <laughs> I'm going to get one of those valuable. <laughs> I'm going to have four of those next year. Those seventh round picks. And I think Mike at some point in time just 
loses patience for the whole thing. And so, yeah, he's just saying, I guess he wanted to showcase him. I don't know. But today, okay. think, think about this. He could have easily, he was asked about Slaughter, who through two games has been really good, right? Mm-hmm. How easy would it have been for Mike just to say, yeah, you know, Mannion's a better quarterback right now, but Kyle Slaughter, this is just a great story. He's been fantastic for us. And instead, what I love about Mike is, he's just like, no, he's, he's not even close to being there. Yeah. How many, how many times... There's a lot of times where managers or coaches will take an over an overhyped player that they feel like Garden Hire was legendary for this. Garden Hire would never rip a Nishioka. If a guy was just not good enough, he would always sort of put his arm around them and say, "Well, you know, but if Danny Valencia screwed something up and he thought this dude should be a starting third baseman and he just can't get his head out of his knee, he would go out of his way to knock that guy down a peg." And it's funny that like Kyle Sloter is he's a a backup at best, right? He's he's yeah. not a franchise quarterback. He's no. not a first round draft pick. He doesn't have all this upside. There's no expectations. He's of a him. nice preseason story. Yeah. And so you would think most coaches and managers would take a guy like that and try and yeah, let's pump his tires a little bit. Yeah, he's like he's doing a great job. Yes, he's got nine touchdowns and no picks in the preseason in his career. He's just yes, awesome. Love to see this guy go out there because what's the point in not doing that? But Zim can't help himself. That's Zim, what I love about Zim him. Zim has to come out and be like, "This guy's trash in practice." <laughs> well, it's just like he doesn't—he doesn't know what he's doing half the time. But you know what? Yeah, you let the play clock Mike, run down. Never stop being you. I love you. <laughs> it's fantastic. Just trashing he, his third-string quarterback. He cut, amazing. He cut Daniel Carlson after the Packers game last year and was asked why he made the move and asked the reporter. Did you watch the game? <laughs> okay, but here's another. Okay, has Mike Zimmer... Why did you get rid of the offensive line coach? Because I wanted, wanted to. to. Yes! <laughs> yes! I mean, even when he doesn't tell us something, sometimes I love it. Like, I don't think... All right, here's, here's, the, here's the quote again. I don't know that you guys know all of the little details about everything. You see how he goes and does the game. So uh, he's got to get a lot better in a lot of the other parts of being a quarterback. Um Making the right checks, getting the people in the right formation, making sure the motions there, not not missing the time clock when it's eight yards in front of you. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that he has to get better at if he wants to be the backup quarterback. So he's never said anything that aggressive about Kirk Cousins, and you easily could, right? You could come out and say, "Oh yeah," but you could come on. He's you, not going to. You could be like, I mean, he hasn't won a Monday night game before. His stats are mostly fantasy stats that he puts up in situations that aren't high leverage, yeah. and uh, he uh, is kind of a weird leader. Like he, but but with the third string quarterback, it's like, yeah, you guys don't see the picture. He's garbage. I think because he's tired of the question because he keeps getting asked. But Slaughter's so good, he could be your backup. He's like, no, he couldn't. No, he's not. He's got no chance. He's not good enough. Yeah, he should he should play another position. Quite frankly. Never change, Zim. Soccer player. I don't even know what Zim. Never change. (laughs) Mackie and Judd with Rami on the all-new Score North and the Score North mobile app. By the way, Purple Daily. You can find that if you want full Kyle Sloter breakdowns on a daily basis. Uh, Matthew Collar's got you covered there from two to four o'clock and anywhere you find podcasts. But Federated Mutual Insurance Company is here for all of you business owners out there. And having been one myself in the past, I definitely can empathize with what goes into it, both the good and the bad. You love running a business because it gives you freedom, gives you control too, uh, but you're also grinding every day, you're solving problems, and uh, you're, you're probably taking care of employees in some ways even more than you're you know, taking care of your family. It sounds bad, but you know as a business owner 
just how many plates you're juggling. It helps tremendously to have an insurance company that gives you peace of mind as you navigate the challenges of running said business. So when you partner with Federated, you get more than just a policy. You benefit from over a century of experience in making businesses as successful as they can be. Federatedinsurance.com is the place to go to find out about the industries that Federated protects and to find your Federated marketing representative. Federated Insurance, it's our business to protect yours.